All right, howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising series, saga, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be spoiled. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us, howlerpod at gmail.com. That is H-O-W-L-E-R-P-O-D at gmail.com. Website, www.howlerpod.com. Also, don't forget to go to our Etsy store. We have some new cool shit that you should buy. Sweet cool shit. Also, rate and review, five stars only. If you don't give us five stars, I'm going to shoot your brother as he runs away with a rail gun. And his head will get blown in half. Yikes. That's pretty. It's pretty gross. <laughs> and now, Howler Pod. Oh! Oh! After 10 years of war, I no longer believe in moments of peace. Hello. Howlers, welcome to Howler Pod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. I'm your host, Ben Reinert, joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. Aaron, what are we up to today? We are reading Iron Gold, book four of the saga. In saga. Uh, saga. <laughs> chapters one through seven. Wow. We're back to rereads, huh? We are. That's fun. Guess who's back. <laughs> back again. All right. Well, uh, let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our chapter summaries. Hopefully we don't shit our suits, mm. and we probably won't because like not that much happens. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, mild start. It's definitely a little bit different than than Dark Age. Dark Age. <laughs> hey, no one got cut in four pieces. Yeah, well, in the I prologue. Guess, I guess Lyria's brother did. Yeah, eh. he yeah. only lost like half his head. So we don't really know him. I'm sure. Do we care about him? He's probably fine. <laughs> <laughs> He'll come back, just like Ephraim's coming back. Oh, did we mention there were spoilers? All right, part one, Wind. Chapter one, Darrow, Hero of the Republic. Darrow and what's left of the Seventh Legion return from their extremely costly victory on Mercury to a hero's triumph on Luna. It's a parade! Parade day! Everyone loves parades. They are paraded through the streets, with much fanfare, um, all the way to the chambers of the Senate, where Darrow is to be congratulated. That's where we meet, for the first time, by name, mm-hmm. uh, Wolfgar, the Obsidian and Warden of the Republic. But we did meet him in the mud when um, Severo handed him the razor. Correct. And now he has his own better razor. Uh, Wolfgar is deeply admired by the low colors, and he's a true believer in the ideals of the Republic, and Ragnar is his hero, Correct. as he is mine as well. Daryl walks into the Senate chamber and says, what up, to his wife, and he's like, low wife, and she like, low husband, and I'm like, mm, yeah, I love it. Remember when they were together this like this is it. This is when they're together. Yep. And then they're no longer ever together in the future. Gonna be a while. <sighs> that takes us to chapter two. Uh Darrow is our narrator. Name of the chapter is Father. Darrow and Severo return to Celine Manor, the sovereign's traditional Luna countryside retreat, where their family by blood and by choice are waiting for them. They come upon their children training. Pax and Electra are having a duel under the watchful eye of Niobe uh, Telemannus. Electra wins and is overjoyed to see Severo. Pax is much more standoffish. Darrow then finds his mother gardening with Dancer, and they talk politics for a bit. Dancer is not happy with Darrow's decision to let the Iron Rain fall. Things are not as they once were between them after 10 years of war. Dancer's role as the leader 
of the Vox Populi and since Dancer learned kind of what happened with the Sons of the Rim, shit has changed between the two of them. Uh, before Dancer leaves, he asks Daryl if there's anything Daryl is not telling him. Daryl responds that he has no secrets with Dancer. LOL. But, but we learn at the end of the chapter that is not true. As Severo asks Daryl if he thinks Dancer knows about the emissaries. The emissaries? Who are they? We know. <laughs> chapter three, Darrow, the fantasy. Victor returns to Celine Manor from dealing with some striking workers at one of her factories. She and Severo bang, and then <laughs> we learn Victor is seven months pregnant Ooh. with Ulysses. <laughs> 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 that baby's future is up for grabs. We don't know. We don't know. I wonder. The whole family. Uh, I hope he likes trees. <laughs> no, Ben. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Ben. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're going to have horrible karma if you ever have children. The Okay. The whole family's there, including Barca's, Telemannus's, and Augustus's. Augustus's. <laughs> <laughs> and all the children are there, too. They're all hanging out. They're getting drunk. Darren Mustang. Uh after the campfire, talk privately about how uh, these nights are what they long for and what they fight for. And basically, they're hoping they can, like, run away and just, you know, have friends over every night and not do the war thing. Haha, <laughs> LOL. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Darrow knows that this time is fleeting. The war and his duty to end the war is waiting for him. A knock then comes at their door, and when Mustang returns from answering it, she's no longer wife Mustang, she's sovereign Mustang. She informs Darrow that Dancer has called an emergency session of the Senate, and that Darrow's trial regarding his disobedience has been moved up to tomorrow night, which can only mean bad news bears. Yeah, that's probably not good. That takes us to chapter four, Lyria, Welcome to the World. Sky. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the audiobook, you understand. In this chapter, we meet Lyria. She's a gamma from Lagalos on Mars who was liberated from the mines two years ago. She lives in a refugee camp with her family, and it really sucks, and she's mad at everybody else about it. Mainly, she's kind of annoying. <laughs> this, she's mainly upset with the Sovereign for what she perceives to be broken promises. We also learn that the Gammas are not treated fairly within the township because they were favored by gold. Chapter 5, Lyria, Camp 121. Lyria returns to her home, and there we meet her family, her sister Ava and her brood of children, her disabled father who just sits around wearing a diaper and watching TV, and her remaining brother, Tyrion. They all have dinner together, and then they go to bed. Lyria, Ava, and Tyrion are woken up in the middle of the night by a sound of a ship arriving. Tyrion goes to check it out, and Lyria follows him shortly afterward, like tangled with her frying pan, ready to, to hit some witches. Whoops, my ass. She comes upon the ship and finds a group of clansmen from the township talking to armed reds, and they're all exiting the ship that just landed. The new Reds are asking where the Gammas are. Oh, shit. That's bad. Because that good. means it's the Red Hand. The Reds from the township point at a group of other Reds, including Lyria's brother, Tyrion. The Reds from the ship open fire on this group and kill Lyria's brother right in front of her. The first man off the ship walks over to Tyrion's body and shoots it again, raking it with bullets. Lyria then sees it's not actually a man, but a red woman with terrible scars covering half her face. I wonder Boo. who that is. The township then descends into chaos. The red hand has come to kill the gammas. That takes us to chapter six, Ephraim, Eternal City. I miss Ephraim. <laughs> in this chapter, we meet Ephraim, a gray former legionnaire turned freelancer. We find him in the middle of a heist at the Hyperion Museum of Antiquities on Luna, where he and his three team members, Dano, a red pickpocket, Sira, a green hacker, and Volga, his female obsidian muscle, all wait inside ancient Egyptian sarcophagi that are like being brought into the museum. 
They are in the museum to steal the razor of Selenius Alun, the OG conqueror himself. They pull off the heist as planned, all playing their specific roles, and then bounce before getting caught, just like they do in Ocean's Eleven. Or Ocean's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's like eight, Ocean's 8, Ocean's 11, 12, and 13. What happened to Ocean's 9? <laughs> <laughs> Ocean's 8 came after Ocean's 13, so I don't know. So this was Ocean's 9. I guess, yeah. This is more like Ocean's 4. There's only four of them. Oh, is that why? <laughs> I've not seen the movies. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Chapter 7, Ephraim, the Arbiter. Ephraim provides the stolen razor to the white Arbiter, Oslo, who brokered the deal and has been hiring Ephraim for jobs for an unnamed and shadowy employer, Abominadrius. Now we know who the employer is. It's crazy. This was going and on in Chapter 7. He's a little nine-year-old piece of shit. He's probably <laughs> nine at this point, right? No, he's only he's like ten still. I mean, it's only like Dark Age is like two or three months afterwards. Oh yeah, because Victor's still pregnant. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oslo pays Ephraim and then informs him that he does not have any further jobs for him. Ephraim goes all sad boy now. Shan, <laughs> <laughs> guess I'll take more Zolodone. <laughs> Jump off the ledge. <laughs> So now he's sad. He doesn't have a job to plan. And he's like, well, fuck it. I have nothing to live for. So he wants to go get drunk. Later in the day, he meets up with his crew and pays them their shares. They encourage him to stay and hang out and tell stories like friends do. But Ephraim leaves because he's, like we said, a sad boy. And that's what sad boys do. (laughs) This is boy with an I. Sad Sad boy. boy. (laughs) All right. That's what happened in chapters one through seven. Now let's talk about the theme that ties them all together. What is today's theme? Broken trust. Wow. That sounds deep. It is. (laughs) So now we'll do our chapter by chapter theme inserts. Yeah, we've got some quotes selected for each of the chapters that illustrate our deep and very interesting theme. (laughs) Of broken trust. Broken trust. (laughs) Have you ever had your trust broken? (laughs) I have. Me too. It's a shitty situation. We've had the same broken trust. (laughs) It's true. Fuck you. Just kidding. (laughs) 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 Let's start with Darrow's chapters. So this is just kind of setting up what's going on here. Do you know who broke my trust? Who? Pierce Brown. (laughs) When did he break your trust? When he killed Ephraim. Oh, wow. It took that long. I'm upset about it today. Because <laughs> when you go back and read Ephraim, you're like, I really like this dude. Oh, yeah. He's the best. I, I'm really looking forward to his chapters in this book. Let's just enjoy him while we've got him. It, it kind of harkens back to Broken Trust when uh, Ragnar died. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I feel like I've been fooled twice. Fool me twice. It's I on think, me, I right? Think Pierce has fooled us like 27 <laughs> times at this point. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Back to Darrow. Okay, so this is setting up Darrow and his uh, break in trust with Dancer. So this is Darrow talking. He says, Two days before the iron rain over Mercury, the Senate, led by my old friend Dancer, voted against my proposal. They told me to maintain the siege, to not waste men or resources on an assault. He's, of course, talking about dropping an iron rain on Mercury. Darrow says, I disobeyed and let the rain fall. (laughs) Next uh, quote that we have is him talking about his relationship with Pax. So we kind of see how Darrow's war effort and his time spent away from home has broken his trust with his son. Pax doesn't trust him. He's much more standoffish this time around. He's also kind of like throwing a fit and i like pax and i understand why he's upset but also like your daddy issues aren't really welcome here like darrow is sacrificing a lot it's hard to expect a child to understand that though he's smart though and he definitely has the mind's eye (laughs) still a child darrow says i expected him to rush me like electra but he doesn't and in that moment a very sharp spasm of pain goes to the deepest part of me when i left him he was a boy brimming with reckless life 
but the hesitation, the coldness in him now is from the world of men. It's also interesting that Pierce writes that Darrow feels like small in Pax's eyes, even though Darrow's like a giant to all men. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I was thinking it's so interesting, like that perspective, knowing that Pierce is not a father. Right. But like seeing that, uh, those feelings in Darrow, you're like, oh, wow. Like you think about parents when when you're a kid, they seem like yeah. so confident and they know what's going on. Right. But the older we get, we realize like, oh, parents don't know what the fuck's going yeah, on. They're just humans like we are. Right. Yeah. Like they fuck up all the time. <laughs> right. So I, I thought that was interesting that uh, he wrote that perspective of Darrow being like an insecure father in the face of his his very smart son yeah. who should know better. That's a really good point. Snotty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next quotes that we have are uh, a bunch of snippets from the conversations between or the conversation between Darrow and Dancer. And this is just loaded with broken trust. And there's a lot of subtext to what they're talking about. They're kind of like having a chess match where they're saying things to each other, but they're not outright saying them. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So Dancer says, you disobeyed the Senate. We did not give you permission to launch an iron rain. We preached caution. And Darrow says, I won, didn't I? Bitch. (laughs) Dancer responds a little bit later with, the Senate was elected. You were not. Darrow says, I do what's necessary. You and I always have. But the rest of them, they do what gets them reelected. Why should I listen to them? Maybe you want an apology. Will that get me the men I need? And then this is just a loaded quote from Dancer. He says, it may be too late for apologies. So he clearly knows Darrow's about to get, like, raked through by the, right. the Senate. And he's not going to be allowed to run loose anymore and, and spend men like he has been. Right. And then right after that, we learn kind of why it might be too late for apologies beyond just, like, the things that Dancer knows already. Um, Daryl goes on to say, I wish I could say his coldness is alien to me, but that bond between us has never been the same since he learned how I bought my peace with Romulus. The guilt I felt for that defined our relationship for years, made me desperate for his approval. Nothing has been amended. Nothing will be the same. Uh, so that's really interesting. I think we had, we've talked before about Darrow's, his like reservation to his duty to end the war. Yes. And I think that some of this stuff with Dancer actually plays into that as well. Like we thought Darrow just wants to end the war because he wants to get back to his family. He wants to be with Mustang. He wants to be with Pax and have that freedom again. But I think also like he kind of wants to make up for past mistakes or uh-huh. things that he did in the past where he lost people. And he wants to like win the approval back mm-hmm. of the people who are falling away from that follow the Vox Populi. Right. So he wants to prove to Dancer, like, I am, I can end this war. We can be okay. Uh, and he just, I think that is also playing into his his duty and why he kind of makes some of the decisions that he does in Iron Gold. And then it ends with this last bit where Dancer uh, asks Darrow, is there something you're not telling me, Darrow? If there is... Now is the time when it's between just us friends. Darrow says, I've no secrets from you. I say, wishing it were true, wishing he believed me. So they already know, like Dancer at this point knows that. Darrow's going to lie. Yeah. Especially when you say uh, like 100%, I have no secrets. Really? (laughs) Yeah. You could say, don't worry about it. The secrets I have. Don't concern you. Right. And with what happens later on with the hearing being called, like at this point, we know that Dancer already knows that the I'm emissaries. Sure that the emissaries were there. So he knows that he's at, he's giving like Daryl one chance to come clean, basically. And I'm sure he's like super disappointed walking away from that. Right. And we know Abominadrius is already feeding anything to like hurt Daryl's reputation mm-hmm. through the, the Vox. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's interesting how much that would play into that, like how much... All the information being right. passed around mm-hmm. in the background. And then our last thing for Darrow, our last quote for Darrow, this isn't so much broken trust as it just shows like the differences in the relationship between like Dancer and Darrow and Mustang and Darrow. 
and uh, this is when they're kind of talking privately in their room, and Jero says, you think I've shot us in the foot, don't you? He's talking about the Iron Rain, and Mustang says, does Dancer have anything else he can use against you? Daryl says, no, and then he says, I know she doesn't believe me, and she knows I know, but she can't ask anymore. Though I want to tell her about the emissaries, it would incriminate her as well. Severo and I agreed it's a secret that must stay within the Howlers. Yep. And knowing how smart Mustang is, it's interesting to see that interaction where Dara's like, she knows, I know, I know she knows. Right. But they like, it's unspoken. But if, since now that we've been in Mustang's point of view and we kind of know her thoughts more, mm-hmm. you know she's sitting there like, I'm smarter than you. I already know what's happening. Right. And this, it's interesting that this doesn't break like any kind of trust between the two of them. The fact that Darrow doesn't tell her anything because she understands that he's not telling her because... To protect he, yeah, her from exactly. the Senate. Right. She doesn't want to be culpable with his crimes, too. Yeah. Um, so next up for Broken Trust, moving away from Darrow, we're going to talk about Lyria. And I have to say, I can't wait till she gets uh, the parasite back. I was like, oh, I like Lyria now. Maybe I'll like her chapters more. No, she's still annoying. I don't know. I'm just like, get your freaking parasite and stop being such a waste of space. I think she's, uh, yeah, her anger is a little misguided to me in these chapters. But I can see also understand her point of view. And once her family gets murdered, like it's hard to Get like over it. No, real be <laughs> yeah, be really upset with her about the way she no, feels. Yeah, it's it's good to like come back to this point and kind of see where she starts because even um, before the parasite, before Figment, um, she still like starts becoming more independent and being able to um, fight for herself. So that's it's interesting to see her character development. And then to come back to this point where she's like is so small in the right. world mm-hmm. with her broken trust, it's really to do with her and the rising. Yeah. So, she's just lost faith in the Republic. Right. Yeah. So sh- and she talks about like wanting, like, is she the only one who wants to go back to the mines, like go back to blind happiness basically. Right. Where like there were hell divers and there were jobs for everyone and, also, she was a gamma, so they were like not hated. Yeah, she had it great. She she was more. Spoiled. She was getting cinnamon and ribbons she for got, her hair. She got medicine and cinnamon <laughs> and nice shoes. Um, so there was a video message from the sovereign when they came out of the mines that welcomed the reds out of the mine and into the worlds. Welcome to the worlds. Yeah. And. Lyria says that was two years and a thousand broken promises ago. Yeah, so you can already hear how bitter she is just right there. Bitter, and really her bitterness is like really honed in on the sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think is just unfair. Right. We're managing a solar system here, girl. And like, Mustang is one person. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> and she's super hot. <laughs> um, so Lyria says the sovereign bought brought us out of the dirt and forgot us in the mud. The Reaper hasn't even been to Mars in years. Got more to worry about than his own color, it seems. As if only Mars has reds. There's reds on every planet. Also, that quote was just so ridiculous to me. Just like, (laughs) the Reaper's got more to worry about than his own color. Yeah, he does. He's defending you against golds who are trying to put you into slavery. He's fighting. Do you know how much worse... (laughs) Slavery will be if Darrow loses. <laughs> yeah. Like they're gonna crack down even harder. Yeah, you're just gonna get gassed and die, probably. Yeah, they have to raise a whole new generation on the lie because now everyone knows the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Lyria, like I said, wants to go back to the mines. So she says that life is gone. More miners are lured lured up every day by the promise of freedom. And in their wake, the mines are bought by big companies from big cities and manned by robots stamped with a silver heel. Uh, Quicksilver? Mm-hmm. Robots? Uh, they say that we're to receive a share soon as it makes a profit. We've yet to see so much as a half-credit chit. She's bitter for good reason. And obviously, like, Lyria in this 
place in her life has no power to like change her life but it's hard because we know the weight of darrow's life and mustangs so lyria like blaming them for her problems you're like they're trying really hard right (laughs) you know and and they they're doing what they think is right which is like telling you the truth and that you've been lied to your whole life showing you the real sky right like these are important things that they're doing for her and then she's like fuck them i want to go back to the mine and look at a fake sky they're giving her literal freedom i mean from slavery so and obviously (laughs) this freedom for gammas especially it's It's been they're persecuted yeah it's a complicated scenario with her especially them coming out probably from the life she's coming from where it seems like there is a purpose and a role for her and her people to play and now they're just very, you know, kind of lost in the wilderness. And they're also, like you said, being persecuted at the same time by their own color, which I guess, you know, we understand where Larry is coming from, but also to like grow up. <laughs> 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 and Larry is about to have more broken trust because where we leave her in, in this uh, episode is her brother just got shot. Mm-hmm. So her whole family's about to get tore up. Right. But a golden angel, Kavox, can come in and swoop her off her feet. <laughs> yep. So her life's about to change, but right now we leave her in her bitter mode of broken trust. Yep. And that takes us to our broken trust sad boy, Ephraim himself. <laughs> Who <laughs> in the you know, will eventually break Lyria's trust. True. We're going to have to come back to this theme. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, so Ephraim's just, he's real upset kind of about where his life has taken him. And um, I think there's a couple things going on here. First of all, you know, he's a drunk and a drug addict. And then also he's just experienced uh, a very difficult loss with his fiance. Trig. Still splattered on the side of a mountain. No, he, <laughs> it's been 10 years. <laughs> We've talked about this. <laughs> the elements have washed him away. Yeah, that's true. Or like the seagulls like ate him or whatever. Seagulls? I don't know. <laughs> like some birds, an eagle maybe. Do seagulls eat? Oh yeah, I guess they eat fish. Yeah, they hang out and eat trash. Okay. Sorry, Trick. I didn't mean to call you trash. <laughs> <laughs> you should apologize to Ephraim. And he's also feels like a lot of his life has been taken away from him in service to causes that he doesn't believe in. And that's kind of what this quote is. Even with the Z, I feel every drink and snort and puff of my 46 years. I blame the Legion for stealing a good quarter of them. The rising for stealing three more before I wised up and split. And now like the rest of his life has been wasted by his grief and Mm -hmm. the Zolodone. We also got to think about where he comes from originally. Like his mom literally had him for basically a paycheck or, or for like rations so she could get rations. She just had a oh, child. Really? Yeah, she was just like mm-hmm. basically paid to have a kid and had a kid and she was like, okay, here's my kid. You can throw him in the Legionnaires, you know, whatever, and just give me the ration check. I don't, uh, she doesn't give a shit about him. So obviously he would be from the very beginning of his life, like he's not loved or accepted and that person that brought you into the world doesn't even care about you. So that's would come from like a place of broken trust. Well, and his only like uh, the light in the darkness for him was Trig, mm-hmm. the milk drinking <laughs> earth <laughs> man. Yeah. So once Trig is gone, he's like, fuck this. Right. I'm going to pop Z's and not feel anything. And we can see like what I was talking about with uh, his early life with this quote. He says, I came to the conclusion at the age of nine that most people are liars, bastards, or just plain stupid. And then uh, playing into that, Ephraim also really distrusts the Republic and the Rising at this point because he used to work for the Rising. One, got his fiance killed. Two, they ended up... Um, he was doing a lot of the block-to-block fighting on Luna and saw a lot of terrible shit, including uh, like a gold that was like skinning people alive or something like that and that ended up getting a pardon from the sovereign and so at that point that that really that type of thing going through all that horrible fighting 
and then seeing the people responsible for it getting off scot-free because the Republic needs the gold strength that just, you know, deeply fucked him up on the inside and made him feel extremely betrayed. It fucked a lot of people up, including Mm -hmm. Dancer. Right. Yeah. Dancer talks about that too. And so, you know, Mustang's balancing like the goals that are on their side, not going over to the other side because they're like murdering golds for being bad people. Right. I mean, the low colors just don't possess the like strength literally and figuratively to fight the golds of society together. And so these two next two quotes both play into that idea. The first one is when he's talking about the white arbiter Oslo. He he says, anemic assholes think it profound to feign an air of aloofness, hiding behind contracts and commerce the way spiders hide and wait behind their webs. 200 were sentenced to life in deep grave during the Hyperion trials for their part in the gold judicial system. Should have been 10,000. The rest were saved by the amnesty declared by the sovereign. And then later on, uh, like an Arcos gold walks into the bar and starts hitting on pink or whatever. And this is just Ephraim thinking to himself. He says, bloody damn Oriate. Uh, We should have purged a lot of them or exiled them to the core. But that chance is gone. All for the war effort. Yeah. So he's bitter that these golds are still walking around running the show. Mm -hmm. Especially since... Trig died um, along with like tons of greys um, fighting for this war. And then these golds and uh, the coppers and uh, whites and everyone who were in power before, they're still living in luxury while like the reds and greys are like living, uh, you know, crammed into barracks. And right. it's, it's just still really imbalanced. Yep. Yeah, it's not necessarily better everybody's free but it's not better and it's that's obviously it's a difficult scenario it's not like you can snap your fingers and just solve everyone's problems right and, and the money is still the the pyramid might be like shattering but the money is still all on top yeah. like so it'll take a while to the trickle down effect for yeah. everything to kind of even itself out. And it's like, and I think he talks about it too. It's like, it's turned Hyperion into a real like lawless place, especially at night and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of a crime. wild West and that kind of thing going on. So, which is good for Ephraim's job. That's true for a freelancer. That's good stuff. So that kind of covers our theme of broken trust. We obviously have a lot of, um, upset people here. Lots of bitterness, Lots of secrets. Right. Even among our uh, friends and family. Yeah, that's true. We're not even sharing our secrets. Yep. Uh, So now that brings us to our prime five. Which is five of our favorite insights and observations from this week's chapters. What's first? The first one is Volga. She cute. She cute. We love Volga. (laughs) She just had some really, there's some really great Volga moments and we just wanted to point those out. I love her first, like her introduction when she like lifts the lid off the sarcophagus and Ephraim's like, stop showing off or whatever. And then she has a great line where she says, don't be jealous, tiny man, that I can lift what you cannot lift. (laughs) 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 And I also love how like how they met in the first place. Like Ephraim had been mugged and was left for... Uh, he was dead. just left left for dead, like bleeding in the gutter on earth. And she found him, nursed him back to health and classic like Volga style. You know, she always cares for um, people and animals and stuff like that that can't take care of themselves, really. And so she sees Ephraim out of the goodness of her heart, helps him out. And then he takes her to Luna. She starts following him around. It's very cute. And then my favorite one was when they're in the bar. And do you have that? Uh-huh. Yeah. She says uh, <laughs> they're trying to get Ephraim to stay in the bar and the gold has walked in and uh, Ephraim's hands like on his gun. And they're like, just sit down, have a drink. And Ephraim says, just one drink, Ephraim. Volga says plaintively, it will be fun. We can tell each other stories and share jokes as friends do. <laughs> share jokes as friends do. <laughs> <laughs> and Ephraim's like, it's always the same story. <laughs> He's such a turd to her, and she's so nice. <laughs> she's just so pure and perfect. And share jokes 
as friends do. <laughs> I can't do the accent. But she cute. Next on our prime five is Severo. So happy that he's back in terms of <laughs> he was gone in Dark Age and now mm-hmm. we have him back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so funny. He has all the best one-liners. He does. He's just so fucking sharp so all the time. So fucking funny. Yeah. I fucking love him. <laughs> so he starts off telling Darrow that his cologne smells like piss. He says, by Jove, you wretch. Did you dip yourself in piss before the occasion? Darrow says, it's cologne. Mustang bought it for me last solstice. He's quiet for a moment. Is it made out of piss? <laughs> I just love that. Is it made out of piss? <laughs> and this is while they're like, you know, being celebrated at the parade. And he's yeah. like, you smell like piss. And of course, Severo smells the worst because he's never uh, washed yeah. his wolf cloak. And then next, uh, we thought it was cute when Severo's like, where's my wife? Because he didn't see her at the triumph and he obviously wants to bang super badly. Mm-hmm. And he says um, to Cedric, he says, she didn't even show to the triumph, Severo mutters. I looked fabulous. <laughs> Cedric says, she has missed you at your most prime, sir. Right. See, Darrow? Cedric agrees. <laughs> so he's just like, I looked fabulous. She didn't even see me. And then um, the grossest one, picking <laughs> picking oh Grizzle gosh. from Repulsive. his teeth. So he's picking with a big like shard of wood, <laughs> picking at his teeth. And Victor's like, stop it. What are you doing? And uh, Severo says, bit of gristle, my love. Got it. Instead of throwing the salvage gristle to the side, he chews on it and swallows. Hmm, beef. Beef, Mustang looks back at the table. We had chicken and lamb. Severo frowns. Odd. Kieran, when did we last have beef? At the Howler dinner three days ago. Noses wrinkle around the table. Severo chuckles to himself. Then it was well aged. Gross. It's so gross. (laughs) Can you imagine just having that friend? He's like always smells bad and he's like picking at his teeth. He probably does other gross things. I know. Like I can't like Severo as much as I like him because he doesn't bathe. Well, you're saying you can't like him as much as he deserves. It's like I want to. Because yeah. he smells bad? Yeah. That's kind of rude, Ben. <laughs> I think that you should like Severo no matter what. <laughs> I mean, I love Severo. Mainly because he's hilarious, but not because he smells bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That takes us prime five number three, which is Severo's wife, Victra. She's sexy. She's sexy. <laughs> we just liked uh, her entrance. She squeezes Daryl's butt so hard he like jumps, kisses Mustang on the forehead, and then uh, we love that Pax and his little buddy Balder are in love with her. They're all like staring at her and they're like blushing when she asks one of them to get him a drink and stuff. And it was just really great. Yeah, and then they fight to get her the drink, and then Balder like creepily stands <laughs> yeah. right behind her she's like, like waiting oh. <laughs> she's like oh be gone and she kisses him and he like floats away i she just love how she comes in and just owns him. the room she's a freaking powerhouse love yeah Victra. she's in charge yeah seven months pregnant Severo comes in with a bloody lip yeah her jade jacket and then i also love that um they talk about putting them in like the West wing, basically like keeping them (laughs) far away so that the family can sleep (laughs) because they'll be up all night. Okay. Next prime five. It was really interesting uh, to hear more of dancers history in the 10 years that we had this break between uh, Morningstar and now. So we learn about the rat war kind of by, Darrow mentioning it. He says, over the course of three years, Dancer personally liberated over a hundred minds with the Sons of Aries. If Fitchner is the father of the rising, it would be fair to call Dancer the favorite uncle, despite the disillusion of the Sons of Aries. Yep, and he liberates, we learn, Lyria's mind. Yeah, Lyria talks about this guy with a limp coming in and mm. hugging her and saying, welcome to the world. Sister, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, we kind of see a little bit into dancers' desires of wanting to have a peaceful life, like enjoying gardening with Deanna yeah. and um, getting his hands dirty, wanting to just have sunshine and dirt under his nails. 
but instead he's he's having to be in the Senate in a robe all day, right. basically fighting for the low colors and dealing with PTSD from yeah he's not his sleeping wars he's and stuff. In the bed. yeah doesn't want to take the meds because he wants to be sharp right so yeah dancer is having a rough old age right and it's not gonna get easier (laughs) (laughs) do you think the rat war would be an interesting side story yeah i would i would think that would be like a cool like sons of aries comic you know or something like that would be even the obsidians don't sing songs of the rat wars right and they're so horrible right and we know from Dark Age that the Rat Legion uh, was on Mercury and that they are like the hardiest, strongest of Daryl's soldiers left at that point because right. they've been through so much. And they're dancers men. Yep. That takes us to our last item on the Prime 5 list, which is we get to spend some quality time with the Telemannus family. And uh, we love the Telemannuses. Yeah, we get to get some training from Niobe and Thraxa. Uh, and Thrax is like pours her beer on Electra's <laughs> head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like temper, temper. <laughs> Thrax is great. I love Thraxa. Um, we get Doxo drawing some angels with quote Diana slash not Diana anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Victra's youngest yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Her name changes. And then they also do a drunken rendition of their family song, The Fox of Summerfall. Yes. Yep. So I I really wish that I could just sit around that campfire and I would like to sit on Daxo's lap and right. <laughs> have him draw me angels. I could sit on Thrax's ra- lap. Yeah. We could <laughs> sit on any of their laps. We could double up and both sit on Thrax's lap. Really. I mean, it'd be comfortable. We'd be safe. That's true. Um, so it's good to get this quality time, especially knowing the future. Right. Love the Telemannus fam. Great times. Yep. So that maybe, brings us to... Maybe we could play some volleyball with them. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're disgusting. I still haven't made that meme. Ben wants me to make this meme of... Don't tell him my meme ideas. <laughs> it's horrible. I'm not going to do it. I'll probably do it. You'll see. Um, (laughs) So now that we've finished our Prime 5, it's time to name our Primus of the Week, where we choose the one character who conquered our proctors of plot and rose above the rest. Our Primus of the Week is... Ephraim. It's Ephraim. We love Ephraim. (laughs) Even though he's a drug addict, piece of shit, who's mean to Volga. And a sad boy. He's a sad boy. Uh, yeah, so we picked Ephraim this week. This is kind of a, a difficult week. And like I said, there's not a whole lot that's going on. It's crazy. We were talking about the difference between the start of Iron Gold versus the start of Dark Age and just like how we get eased back into this world. And then Dark Age, we're just like, oh, somebody's cut in half. Like, pew, pew, pew. Where's the dog? I don't know. <laughs> we're immediately uh, thrown into it in Dark Age versus here. We get to kind of ease into it. So there's not a whole lot of Things that happen. Action, yeah. We got the clunk. We picked Ephraim because he pulled off a successful heist. I mean, he literally stole the razor of... Selenius Selenius Alun. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty cool. So, Ephraim also won because we miss him, and he got his heart eaten. (laughs) You know? So, like, he deserves a win. Right, he deserves this win. Hopefully, he'll win again between now and then. Also, thinking, like, think about Ephraim, how... He's like the best thief, basically, even when he's all drugged up and like not even at his prime. Right. That's right. So just think about how much better he could be if he weren't popping Z's. (laughs) And drinking all the time. Drinking whiskeys and milk. Okay. That takes us to Howler Q&A. Let's do it. We've got a question from at Javison 13 here. Javison. 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 So it's kind of a long one, so I'm just going to read the whole thing because we need some context here. They say, One thing I'd like to hear your thoughts on that has bugged me throughout the books is the fact that Darrow calls Virginia Mustang. Hear me out on this one. Think back to when their relationship started. They each had nicknames. Yes, he was the Reaper and she was Mustang. No big deal. Once they started being in a relationship together, she has never once referred to him since then as Reaper, only ever Darrow or Husband. 
Why then can Daryl not do the same? I don't know why it bugs me so much, but it just feels like something that should happen. It's like, okay, I get that you had a nickname for me before you knew me, but we are like married now. Can't you call me by my real name? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that um, Reaper was adopted by the masses and the only people who call him Darrow are his like close friends and family. Right. And everyone calls him Reaper. Whereas Virginia now... It's the opposite. It's the opposite. Yeah. They only call her Virginia or the Sovereign right. or the Lion. And he's really the only one who calls her Mustang. Yeah. So it's kind of like her pet name that he calls her, but like literally no one else refers to her as Mustang. I like, think usually a Tom Hanks referred to her as Virginia. As Virginia. Several and calls her Mustang, I think. So Horsey. Yeah. And then most people call her the Sovereign. Right. So I think th- she doesn't call him Reaper because Reaper is like his war name right. that belongs to the people. Mm-hmm. And like only like his mother and, and even like several calls him Reap. Yeah. You know, like Mustang and his mom are like the only people who call him Darrow. Yeah. It's much more of like a pet name. And I, I think it's very cute that he so calls her Mustang. I like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and it's also just a badass name. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got a lot of nicknames. Like she, yeah. she's walking away with Mustang, Horsey, uh, Lion. Yeah. Lionheart. Lionheart. Yeah. Sovereign. She's yeah. got a lot to choose from. Right. You know, I don't even have one nickname. So. I, s- I just like it because I feel like it keeps that original connection that they had from the Institute, mm-hmm. like low Mustang, low Reaper. And it's just like you can keep playing that down the line. So we even get a play on that here in IG when he's like low husband, low wife, you know, uh, it's just great. I, I don't know. I, I'm OK with it. I'm OK with it. But I understand where you're coming from. It is kind of weird. I don't think it's weird. I just think that he's always called her that. And so that's what he's always going to call her, you know. And really, I think it'd be weird if she called him Reaper because mm-hmm. that's the only thing everyone else calls him. Right. Nobody calls him Darrow. Yep. That was a good question, though. That was a fun one. Thank you, Jay Avison 13. Jay Avison. Jay Avison. Do you know what it's time for now? What are we into this week? Boom. Uh, I'll go first. I'm into two things again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I'm struggling every week to be into anything new. And you're like, I'm into everything. <laughs> it's because I'm still reading the Lightbringer series, which is still amazing. Okay. The first thing that I'm going to recommend is an app. You probably you might have heard of this app, but I just heard of it, and I really like it. It's called the Libby app. It's L-I-B-B-Y. And basically, it's the, a library app where you, as long as you have a library card, you can log on to this app and you can rent digital copies of books from the library through the app. Wow. And you can also get free library cards from like lots of libraries online. You can just sign up for a library card online. Uh, You can also do audiobooks through this. What? And so I have been listening to audiobooks through it. The only downside is that you do have to kind of like, especially with popular books, you have to put them on hold ahead of time. So you kind of have to plan ahead because there's only a certain amount of books that they will, or audiobooks that they'll rent out. Wow. So it's a popular book. Kind of put it on hold. You got to wait a little while, but then you get it and it's all free. So that's sweet. Audiobooks are kind of expensive. Audible subscriptions, if you don't have one, that's a lot of money if you're not like listening to a book every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check out the Libby app if you want to use your local library. Next one is from <laughs> <laughs> my next What Am I Into This Week is a book. This is a scream, extremely nerdy book. This is for all my Star Wars heads out there. I read Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson. So this is a book about uh, Batu, which is the setting of the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme park that's just been built. Have you heard about this? I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. You never heard of the Star Wars theme park? Nope. Okay, so there's a fucking Star Wars theme park now. Where's that? It's in Florida and California. It's like Harry Potter, but except Star Wars. You Is know? it part of uh, Universal Studios or Disney World? Disney, yeah. I think it's Universal. Harry Potter World's Universal. But Disney owns Star Wars. Uh, oh. 
it's like the Harry Potter world. Oh, You've seen that, right? I see, yeah. Where it's like immersive experience and you go in and it's yes. all Harry Potter. Yes. Same thing, but Star Wars. Okay. And so this book is all about that settlement or whatever and what goes on there. It's super nerdy. The book's not super well written, but it's kind of fun just to like, there's a lot of like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Easter eggs in there. And I'm sure whenever I go to the theme park, I'm like, oh my God, I read about this in Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson. That's all I got. Great. So Star Wars. When nerds. are we going to to Florida or California? Um, I'm going to wait for it to like settle down a little bit. I'm also, they're like still adding stuff to it. So I want it to be right. more, more fully built because it just opened over the summer. Oh, cool. And I need to like Love save it. money because I'm going to blow like thousands of dollars when I go there for sure. Got to buy a lightsaber. I'm going to buy oh. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Aaron, what are you into this week? I'm into a TV show called Fleabag. Great show. It's by the BBC. It's uh, it's in London, the setting. You can watch it on Amazon, can't you? I watch it on Amazon. It's by BBC Network. Yeah. Lots of British people. Lots of British people. Um, but basically, it's about this woman who is basically a shithead Fleabag. Yeah. <laughs> she, it's... It's kind of hard to watch sometimes because she's just like not a good person, but it's also a very funny show. She's super funny. Yeah. And the thing I like most about the show is she she breaks the fourth wall and talks to the camera a lot mm-hmm. or like looks at the camera, even when like she's having sex mm-hmm. or like doing something <laughs> weird. Like yeah. she'll be like be on the toilet, like talking to you. Mm-hmm. So um, it's. It's very funny. The actress is amazing. Her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and um, it's a great one. Check it out. She writes it, too, which oh, is Oh, she really does? Cool. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Um, but she's basically, like, you know, coming out of a really tough time in her life, and it's just about her navigating day-to-day yep. <laughs> things that would be easy for, like, a well-adjusted human, but for her, she just fucks everything up. <laughs> yeah, and it's great because it's, like, 30 minute episodes and there's only like 12 of them. Yeah. It's very binge worthy. Mm-hmm. Just fly right through it. Fleabag and Libby app and also Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson. Nice. Okay. What's coming up on Howler Pod? Howler Pod. <laughs> uh, Iron Gold chapters eight. Through oh, f- we're going to keep reading it. That joke's so funny. <laughs> we should keep saying it. Chapters eight through 14. Chapters 8 through 14 in your Iron Gold books at home. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email howlerpod at gmail.com. Go to howlerpod.com. And don't forget to rate and review us. If you don't give us five stars only, we'll put you in a sarcophagus and not take the lid off. And send you to the moon. And then you'll fucking starve to death (laughs) in a tiny little box made for small Egyptians. Also, I got a quick shout out to the Howlers that are writing reviews. They are amazing and funny, and we're getting more and more of them. And we love you guys. If you've written a review, you're the best. If you haven't written a review yet... Then you're not the best. But you can be. You could be the best, but you aren't. (laughs) Yet. And you're about to be shot into the sun (laughs) with (laughs) Zolodone. Okay. Thanks, Howlers. I'm Nisvir Lupus. Howl!